1: Welcome to New Books in Critical Theory. I'm your host, Dr. David O'Brien. On this episode, I'll be discussing value practices in the life sciences and medicine. Welcome to New Books in Critical Theory. On this episode, I'm going to be talking about an edited collection, uh, which has been published by Oxford University Press this year, called Value Practices in the Life Sciences and Medicine. Um, it's edited by three researchers, uh, Isabel Dussage, Klaus-Frederick Frank- Helgeson, and Francis Lee. Um, the three of them uh, started this project um at linchoping university um in sweden but um has now moved uh to Uppsala um to be a researcher at the center for gender research so hello hello hi there how are you great good you, you can hear me all okay um if we could kick off by uh maybe the three of you briefly introducing um yourselves to the listeners um and then perhaps we'll start talking about uh, this broader question of value.
0: Uh, All right, I can start uh, shortly. My name is uh, Isabel Saj, and I am a researcher based uh, at the Center for Gender Research in Uppsala University. Uh, I come from the history of science, technology, and medicine, and the research I've been conducting lately has been mostly dealing with the neurosciences of sexuality and gender uh, before that i've been uh, interested in issues of medical visualization and visual culture and the computerization of healthcare uh, from a range of different perspectives okay hi uh, i'm
2: Klaus frederick or cf for short um, so i'm a professor at technology and social change in in sweden um my background is uh, in, uh, in business studies, but I have, uh, I mean, even my PhD student years worked at the intersection between science and technology studies and economic sociology first uh, in, in my dissertation on the telecommunications industry and since uh, around 15 years I, in the area of healthcare governance, medical research and so on. So um, yeah, that's, that's where I am.
3: Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm Francis Lee. Uh, I'm working, uh, uh, my background is uh, in a field called technology and social change, which is a specific subject here in Sweden, and I'm, uh, I've am i been working on the intersection of uh, technology and social change and life science for the past few years. I've written about uh, large-scale biosciences and prote- large-scale protein mapping projects looking at how proteins are expressed in the human body. And I'm interested in, uh, well, I I think my main interest is in how technology and science and knowledge production are intertwined with politics. Uh, I'm also interested in, for example, uh, digital technologies and how digital technologies become valuation machines, how they produce and are used to make values in in different
1: settings. That's quite a good place to... um... To contextualise the book, I think this this question of of making values. So, I, I'd, I'd be interested to to kind of hear a bit about why uh, why value and values uh, have become such an important topic um, in social science in, in recent years. Uh,
0: I think, in general, that values are an important way to look at human matters because values lie at the heart of any human decision-making Um values are at the same time, social and cultural and emotional yet they are performed by individuals in specific situations, in specific contexts. So values give us key to understand human conflicts and dilemmas in ways that are uh, quite unique, maybe. Yeah.
2: And I, I think, I mean, uh, uh, so, so that would be uh, there's so many empirical um, reasons why why it's important to study values because people struggle with values in in many areas. But I think I mean also from a theoretical point of view, it's important because uh, the very large traditional ways of of understanding values have often taken them as as kind of the 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 uh, the cause for action, for instance. And and apparently when we look at um, in many settings, I think that people actually are struggling with what what is important here, and, and therefore there seems to be a need for other approaches to to understand and appreciate uh, values as as, a, as an empirical phenomenon. And, and uh, I think that's also part of why it's important to to study it. Mm.
3: For me, I think uh, the heart of the matter lies in that values are. Uh, at the heart of, of politics, of making what is important in society. I mean, how? What should count? How should it count? How should we measure what counts, uh, and so on? I mean, it's uh, it's about making what matters in the world. Uh, and as a kind of consequence of this making of importance and and uh, and mattering, is also the making of what does not count. I mean, what. Makes, what is made invisible, what is made not valuable, uh, how, how do we make non-value? So, I mean, I think values is a topic that we can't really escape if we want to grapple with what how important this is made in, is made in society.
1: The, the book kind of explores this through a series of case studies, but um, before we discuss the individual chapters, I think it'd be worth um, saying a little bit more about the kind of um, the context setting that comes in in the opening uh, chapter, the opening essay of the book, where, where you draw that question of you know how a non-value is created, how the values work in practice, really, really clearly, I think. Uh, and there's a couple of things I'd like to to hear about, and, and one is um, it, it is why it is you've decided to ask the question how something comes to count as value, and how other things are kind of not counted. Uh, as, as values, um, what, why you started from that question, um, and what are the consequences for research when, when we think about values in those ways?
2: Okay, I, I mean, it's a very um, big question, and, and I think yeah. we we can have several different answers to that. But but one one starting bit, I think that I mean coming back to what I said about I mean uh, we we were not felt. Totally comfortable with this. I mean, many major ways to to, to uh, understand theoretical ways to understand values, and 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 that way uh, open up for making it more. Uh, I mean. Open for empirical study how people uh, grapple with values and I mean one way to to see this if you take uh, um, uh, science and technology studies uh, kind of view on it is what would it me- what would it uh, mean to to do with values what social uh, sociology of scientific knowledge did with knowledge. 10, 10, 20, 30 years ago when they asked the question, what comes to count as scientific knowledge? I mean, that kind of approach, I mean, in, in a very broad terms, I mean, and, and taking that kind of attitude, but not uh, focusing on, on the epistemic side, but, but more on the values side. Yeah, I think uh, one interesting
3: aspect of, of, of uh, going into values is traditionally Values are often seen as drivers of human action. I mean, we have all these studies going into how, what values people have and how we should develop politics or how the world should be shaped in, in relation to the values that people have. But that kind of misses the point, according to our approach, and, and, and it, uh, hides how people grapple with making values, struggle with what, how they should... Relate to the values that other people express or how they make values through different devices. So rather than seeing values as driving human action, we see humans as as being in the driver's seat and and producing different types of values and and grappling with them in in practice.
0: And I think for me um, there is an aspect of uh, asking the question of, of values that helps us understand what um, that helps us understand the desirability of certain scientific knowledge uh having been studying the relation between uh, biology and feminism uh for the last uh, years, I've been wondering why certain scientific theories uh seem to be more popular than others uh be they're more cons- quite conservative in terms of the uh, worldview or gender views, for example, uh, or or uh, they're more radical. And I think, I believe that the, um, asking questions of values help us, may help us understand why certain kinds of knowledge is considered valuable. Why, why is neuroscientific uh, knowledge of the human for example, uh, considered uh, a valuable uh, resource to understand human action. Uh, why are, is biological knowledge uh, considered uh, a valuable way to understand society or societal problems? Uh, those questions are very big, and the book does not aim to understand to, to answer them specifically. But that is one corner. I come from, so to speak. Uh, I think asking the question of values, how certain kinds of knowledge comes to count as valuable, what it is worth, for whom, for what purposes, uh, help us understand better the place of uh, knowledge and technological interventions
1: in the world. The the other thing the book does, which is an important aspect of, of academic writing is, is kind of mark itself out from, from what it's not or, or from what it's, it's moving beyond. And, and the two perspectives you, uh, you situate the book in relation to in the introduction are a moral economy perspective and a, a bio capital perspective on value. And, and I'm interested to know how the book relates to, but also move beyond these, uh, these two, two current approaches. Okay.
2: Uh, I can start that one. So, um, I mean, how should you say that we are in a friendly but critical conversation with those kind of those mm-hmm. two perspectives that you mentioned in yeah. the introductory chapter and, and in several instances of the book? And, and actually, to be fair, uh, I mean the, the workshop that that um, kicked this uh, this book project off was called the, Mor- the Moral Economists in the Life Sciences or something like that. So so that perspective was there along because. Um, Coming to our concerns, we were interested in in how values are enacted in in, in life sciences, and then, of course, the moral economy perspective uh, is a touching stone. But also, as we write in the introduction chapter, we find that that there are both those perspectives highlight very important aspects of, of medicine and life science, but at the same time, They sometimes are a bit static in what are the values of something or or out there, and and does not fully open up, we think, uh, for empirical uh, scrutiny, the enactment, ordering, and displacement of values, something like that. So, I mean, critical but friendly, or friendly but critical conversation with those two perspectives. We think that we could go further in problematizing the, the. value practices in medicine and life science by going beyond those two perspectives?
0: Um, I can say a few words about what I think we uh, uh, the, those perspectives uh, give us. Well, they help us see. I think the moral economy perspective is very important uh, in making visible that scientific practices, but also other practices in healthcare and medicine are uh, profoundly shaped by uh, cultural norms and codes of conduct and understandings of what is good and what is not good, what is important and what is not. So I think the moral economy perspective um, is what got us started uh, in thinking in those ways, although we felt the need to go further than that, as CF was uh, describing. And I think from the uh, biocapital literature, uh, we get this very important point that some kind of value or some kinds of values are being produced in the also mundane practices of both science and healthcare and medicine. And that this production of values follows that is not totally at random. Uh, it has some kind of of organization or some kind of patterns and that those are worth studying um and this is why we relate i think to these two bodies of of theory and research is that they um point out very uh, important considerations about the um existence of values in the fields we study
3: yeah, I think uh, uh, the work of Lorraine Daston has been a, a, a touchstone for us. As you, I think you guys should see it. And uh, I mean, she's writing about the virtuous scientist and the virtues of science. So she looks at what kind of characteristics a scientist should have to be a good scientist, or what type of characteristics a good science should have, for example, objectivity or something like that. What is virtuous science? While uh, the biocapital literature looks at how often how uh, economy corrupts uh, the biosciences and looks at how uh, economy is, inf- I mean, infl- is infiltrated or is intertwined with scientific work and how economic uh, forces shape science into something. There's an undertone of looking at how, at how economy reshapes science into something that it shouldn't be and we, we, we think that these perspectives have very valuable insights but we think that they kind of stop short of actually looking at the performance of value because I mean economy the economic value of the life sciences is made in practices and the valuation and, and production of what is a virtue which the scientist is also made in practice and we think that these kind of perspectives they kind of create a, a static arena for, for looking at how, how these how they reshape something, rather than looking at how actual scientists struggle with them in, in everyday work, because they and they do. I mean, uh, as we as several chapters in the book highlight, I mean, we have uh, KOLs struggling with how to work for the pharmaceutical industry while upholding their their oath to. Uh, the medical profession and so on. so or, or scientists that create companies but still want to work for the human good. I mean, it's a constant struggle for, for people in the life sciences and in medicine to, to, to kind of grapple with the values. So, I mean, look, us, uh, to come into this struggle with predefined notions of what values are is what we think these perspectives miss.
1: Understanding the uh... I guess the kind of the boundary making around um, particular elements of of good science or or, or bad science or appropriate or inappropriate behaviors is absolutely crucial. But as you say, going into it with kind of fixed perspectives on what those values are misses the way um, values are created, almost kind of in in motion and a a dynamic. And the book uh, deals with this uh, in four different ways, I think, uh, by thinking about conflicts, uh, thinking about markets, Uh, thinking about bodies and thinking about knowledge. And I wonder if we could take uh, the four sections in turn with with maybe perhaps one, uh, perhaps two examples from from the chapters in each four sections. So if we begin with what are the sort of uh, boundaries of acceptable behavior for the life sciences, Um, whether it's to do with people who lead opinions, um, the boundaries between medicine and and the pharmaceuticals uh, historically, um, or in terms of how the biochemist um, works?
3: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, I mean, uh, the question uh, – I mean, um, you, you sent us some questions before this uh, yeah. recording. And, and, and You phrased the question, what are the boundaries of acceptable be- acceptable behavior in the life sciences? And it's interesting because we're always – uh, faced with the same we're often faced with the same question anyway uh what are values what are something it's an ontological question about yeah. how things are in the world and i think perhaps uh what we we were trying to emphasize also in relation to the biocapital literature and how uh Things are made and remade in practice. So, in, in, the, in the question of KOLs, then, like uh, these key opinion leaders that Sergio Sismondo is writing about in the book, uh, pharmaceutical uh, the pharmaceutical industry uh, pays uh, doctors to go and represent them at different talks and uh, in different key spaces in, in, in relation to how to get people to prescribe their pharmaceutical uh, stuffs. So what we're interested in, or what Sergio is writing about, is how this is a constant struggle then in trying to negotiate different types of moral boundaries or economic boundaries that are in place, but they're constantly shifting and made. So, for example, how can uh, a KOL uh, reconcile working for the pharmaceutical industry uh, while still trying to uphold being an objective scientist in some cases or being uh, a, a good physician in other cases. So he's, he's writing about how these KOLs, key opinion leaders, uh, try to reconcile different bi- value systems and de- make the boundaries between this, these different value systems. And it's a, it's a process that is both emotionally uh, and uh, uh, economically uh, difficult for them. So they try to kind of uh, use different types of arguments to reconcile their own uh, conscience, in some cases, towards their payment uh, and so on. And the same goes for, for uh, the, ca- the Sven Wiedman's case in the book, where he writes about plagiarism, a, a, a historical case where where there's a discussion about what is plagiarism and publication priority? Who gets the prior- priority in terms of who published first? And this is also then a, a negotiation between different key leaders in, in the field that he's studying. Uh, how, what is acceptable behavior? It's not clear cut, it's not laid down in a law, and it, even if there are Kind of codes of conduct. It's a constant matter of negotiation. So, what we we would like to say, though, then, rather than looking at the, looking at what the boundaries of acceptable behavior are in the life sciences, the ontological kind of statement, we would like to look at the performative statement and look at how are boundaries of acceptable behavior made by different actors.
1: So, how does how does this work for uh, for markets? Okay, so uh,
2: the the book has a section. I think it's called the markets for as Carer for health or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, there's three uh, distinct different uh, studies uh, for different areas in that section. And and I think that all three uh, contributions to that section clearly shows how uh, efforts to work with with more kind of markets ways of ordering um, involves. I mean many difficult questions for for those involved in uh, I mean, what should count when making this into a more market, market based uh, approach for provision of healthcare? For instance, like in the, in the, in the uh, uh, study about the uh, Netherlands uh, uh, healthcare system uh, by Tensil, and Rack and colleagues, or creating a market for, for the development of malaria vaccine as, as described by Daniel Neyland and Elna Semakova, or indeed when, I mean, Making a system for allocating, um, organs, transplant organs in the, in the, in the UK, which is a study by, by Philip Roscoe from St. Andrews. I mean, and all these three chapters show how, how uh, the efforts to develop or, or making a mar- market, uh, more market-like system for, for doing, uh, I mean, in, in engaging with healthcare also surfaces a lot of, of, of grappling with values. Um, but I think also another kind of uh, broad takeaway message from this section is of course that, I mean, um, it's not the market solutions that that uh, or the, the the market modes of ordering that create the the, the struggle or to enact the order and displace many different values. I mean, the, the many different values would be at stake anyway, but maybe it is the kind of the, the market initi- initiatives uh, um, reshapes the problem in a specific way and maybe also makes them even more kind of of, of, of salient, but uh, or or, or visible, especially if they're. I mean, as all these three cases are cases where thing, things are not fully black boxed yet. So they are very kind of, uh, it, um, the, the value conflicts are are, are very articulate and, and people are working with how to distinguish and how to define what should count as a fair system for allocating organs, or what should count as an uh, um, f- efficient way to uh, allocate organs, of course. So, so, But I wouldn't say that, that those kind of um, uh, questions would be... Uh, yeah. Um, absent if uh, if you had would have a you know, completely non-market way of ordering things. But I mean market becomes an intervention, if you would like, to, that 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 uh, produces a lot of work or value practice in, in dealing with, with the, the, the value problems. And I think that all three chapters, as I mentioned in the section, very clearly shows how. So I mean market reforms is seems to be a very interesting site to to uh, I mean to look at. And um, the creation of stakes, the ordering of, 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 of values and, of, of course, also figuring out the relations between uh, um, the epistemic and, and the values and so on. Yeah. So I think that that's that's uh, a broad message from, from these uh, chapters in that section. The,
1: the process of, of ordering uh, you were talking about is, is really crucial um, when we're thinking about lives being uh, counted as valuable. Or or actually, not counted as valuable, and and the third section has got three chapters that engage with this um, in terms of of, of living beings, whether kind of um, genetically developed or created, or or in terms of um, things like prenatal screening um, during uh, pregnancy. So, so I wonder if you you could talk about that kind of process from these three chapters. Yes, the
0: three chapters in that section of the book deal with. pretty different, uh, cases. Uh, shortly, one of them, uh, by Christina Storm is, uh, about the attempt to, uh, create and market a new form of fish, fresh cod. And the whole chapter is about the necessity to create new market devices and, and policy instruments and to alter life forms, this life cycle of the fish in order to make it, uh, possible to, um, to create a product that can be, uh, that can be, um, advertised for, uh, and consumed in certain manners. Uh, this chapter is very much about how these different sets of values, how different sets of values are entangled and, and, uh, uh worked with by, um, uh, the people involved in different, different positions. It's all both about biotechnological, agricultural, and, um, and other, uh, and several other levels of practice. Um, and this is, this is about adapting, um, organisms, their conditions of life and markets, uh, to each other. I would say. Uh, another chapter by Carrie Fries addresses what zoos deal with uh, after leaving um, an economy of hunting and gathering, zoos have been uh, repositioning themselves as uh, promoters of biological diversity. Uh, by making animals in the zoo through biotechnological interventions such as cloning of species, and there the, the questions or dilemmas arise as of which animals should be saved or should be preserved, which species uh, should be invested in, on which basis, uh, and the, the struggles about these different um, principles. Uh, so, this is about Notions of genetic value and different notions of genetic value and genetic diversity and um, different concepts for Zeus. Uh, Elena Lovey's chapter deals with a, a prenatal diagnosis and it shows. Uh, so now we're moving to speaking about human lives and uh, Lovey. Deals with how uh, prenatal diagnosis, uh, diagnosis the, I'm sorry, PNDs, <laughs> prenatal diagnostic technologies, were uh, transformed into a, a routine diagnosis historically uh, in France and in Western countries, and this refers to PND re- refers to a cluster of techniques that provide information on the fetus, and they were historically promoted uh, with uh, for the detection of um, uh, Dome syndrome, and with emphasis on women's choices, um, building on pregnant women's concern for the best of the children. Um, but uh, what the author shows there is that PND and its generalization, its routinization as a procedure, has been uh, more shaped by the health professionals' values, than by pregnant women, um, this means that an emphasis on epidemiological concerns and ways of thinking, uh, health economic considerations related to those uh, were more decisive in the way these technologies were shaped, implemented, uh, whereas the, we could, the end users, we can see women here, had little input on the content of the tests or their availability or the conditions of use. Um, So these three chapters obviously deal with very different kinds of considerations on life and bodies. But what they highlight is that uh, lives and living bodies acquires worth within very specific, systems of values that are shaped by professional values uh, by politics by by ethics and by um, I want to say history of professional values as well um, and political histories
1: Um, I'll stop there I think Cool Um, The the last section of the book uh, is where your three respective chapters Come together, um, and I, I suppose we we might contrast um, the last section of the book being about knowledge, being about practices in labs, um, being about um, almost sort of um, scientific uh, disciplines in the case of something like neuroscience with, with the previous section um, on on bodies and, and living beings, but they do have uh, overlaps and, and continuities, so I wonder if you could talk me through the uh, the last section of the book.
3: Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll start with uh, my chapter, which, mm-hmm. is, uh, 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 which is about a large-scale mapping project in Sweden, where scientists uh, are seeking funding for mapping all proteins expressed by the genome in the human body. And what I, what I found interesting in looking at this process of seeking funding, of creating such a large-scale bioscience project of mapping thousands of proteins in the body, was how two different, kind of uh, produced two different ideas about science and industry relations, about science and industry, how they should work together, how they exist together. And... Coming to coming to this case and looking at these different science foundations, so it's Wellcome Trust, the British Foundation, and a Swedish foundation called the Wallenberg uh, Knut and Alice Wallenberg Foundation. I thought it was inter- interesting to think about how kind of critical approaches to studying science industry relations, and how these kind of uh, prescriptive ideas about tri- triple helix. Creating a science industry nexus, uh, uh, like Silicon Valley, for example, uh, how they kind of have mirror images of what the world of science and industry is. So we have like an idea both in politics, in critical studies of uh, science industry relations, and in prescriptive. Uh, sci- uh, studies of science industry relations that presupposes that there is a boundary between science industry and that it has uh, specific uh, values tied to this boundary which values should be on which side of the boundary <coughs> and I think uh, what what's interesting uh, is when you take a value-graphic approach to to looking at this boundary is look at how rather than looking at how this boundaries transgressed or how it, sh- how it should be organized. It's interesting to look at how, how this boundary is made and remade in negotiations, for example, with science foundations and how these negotiations about how science and the an industry should work together, how they have very large consequences for what good science uh, is made out to be. So, I mean, the, the, the consequences of look, looking at The construction of the boundary between science and industry is that we get an understanding of different value systems that are put in in play in science and in industry. And if we look at this specific case that I I studied, then the the Human Protein Atlas, which produces uh, millions of beautiful images of of protein locations in the human body, uh, we can see how. Two different ideas about what a map of all the human proteins in the body, how two different ideas of this map emerge. And one, one idea is how how it becomes like a treasure map almost. It becomes like it becomes a the terrain is not so interesting. It's only the route to the the, the X on the map—that's interesting. We've, we only features that lead to the X on the map are interesting. So, which makes the map almost—I mean—the features that are not interesting for finding the X are almost invisible. So, the proteins that are not a map to a treasure in the in form of a pharmaceutical uh, uh, concoction or something like that—a uh, medicine or a molecule that can uh, create diagnosis—those proteins in. Are not interesting at all to to investigate. It's a very particular idea about what science should do and how, how to go about this type of science. The other uh, the other side of this map would be then a topo- topographical map, which one of the one with which the Wellcome Trust kind of uh, wanted the project to be it was a, it was a map that could be used by the scientific community at large, and that kind of ontological idea about mapping mapping the protein in the human body uh, creates a completely different uh, uh, understanding of what knowledge is valuable. Then it's all all knowledge, all the understanding of the different proteins and how they interact or how they don't interact becomes valuable. So we have uh, completely different sets of values being put in play with, with very large consequences for, for for the scientific work in the lab. Uh, so, for example, in, in, the project was eventually founded as a treasure map then, uh, and this created a valuation of certain types of methods and certain types of molecules in the laboratory. So the idea about how which relations science or industry should have also kind of filters down into uh, the vials and and the practices in, in the lab and the machines and how they were organized in the lab. So we have have these large-scale ideas about how science and industry should relate to each other, which then filter down into uh, different valuations of, in this case, its antibodies. So I think <laughs> by then moving beyond this Presupposed boundary of science industry relations, we, we can kind of open up for a field of understanding kind of the, the negotiations and the effects of these uh, larger ideas about lab in the lab and what molecules, what knowledges, what kind of uh, science should we be reorganizing. And I think uh, the more interesting question is not going in there and saying economy corrupts science completely uh, or. Or that to say that uh, economy is needed to create a forward momentum in society and science is part of that. I mean, it's more complex than that. And by kind of taking a step back and not presupposing this analytical division, we can get a hold of a whole new set of problems and a whole new set of uh, value enactments in the life sciences.
1: That, that idea of. Was- a new set of problems and a new set of value and enactments it is a good place to uh, to start to conclude, I think, because one of the things that comes up um, in the final chapter of the book um, is is the idea of valuography um, and is one of the ways you, you think through how we might be able to go beyond um, the life sciences and medicine and start to think about other areas of the social world with this um, performative and, and enacting um, Sort of starting point that, that that you have in the
2: book. Yeah, so um, I mean, um, to be honest, it was a um, it was a, it's always a struggle to conclude these kind of books. I mean, and 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 also, I mean, how how do you um, draw together? I mean, the many many insights you can get from, from the, the from the contributions, mm. and, and 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 so so we, we I mean. It, quite some of the effort in, in doing the book uh, was, was in this final chapter. And and uh, we landed on, I mean, not, of course, ending, we didn't want to end in what values are at stake in the life sciences and medicine, because that would kind of fail the whole project. Yeah, but, the uh, so, so, uh, and then we thought, what can we learn from the chapters in ways to understand or investigate the value practices and, and, we, we built from that, so I mean, that's what, when we, we coined the, the term valiography as the kind of an empirical-oriented research program to study the enactment, ordering, and displacing of values, and of course, how how can we draw insights in approaches from the different chapters? And we should not say here that that that, that the, the idea of valiography it draws on on a tradition of of um, coining terms like Peter Deere, he, he coined the term epistemography. I mean, the empirical study of what comes to count as knowledge or Michael Lynch has suggested etiography for the study of, of the practices around what comes as ethics and, and Steve Olga has suggested technography along the same lines. Uh, I mean, the empirical study of technology and so on. So, so and, and then variography uh, then, of course, using as, um, as, as a label then for a pragmatic, uh, uh, practice-based approach. For the study of, of, of values and, and their enactment and so on, and 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 so what we do there in in the in the, um, in the final chapter is to see and kind of tease out uh, the strategies that we have seen in the different chapters uh, chapter contributions in how to see um, I mean to make visible the, the value values uh, at stake and, and the enactment and ordering of values and so on. So. We- Work with questions of of compensation. It seems to be a very kind of uh, often heated uh, kind of area, and therefore many values are articulated and and, and organized and so on. Studying devices and and, and I mean, and that's a clear uh, example that would be Philip Roscoe's uh, chapter on, on devices for allocating organs. I mean, studying devices and their construction and, and because there, many of the different values at stake become very, very articulated and so on. Um, Controversy is more generally generally as another kind of of, of approach. Um, uh, tracing over time that values are not stable over time. And, and uh, the, the chapter by Ilana Leve that uh, Issa mentioned previously is a very uh, different, different uh, settings. So, I mean, that, that's, uh, and I would say that, I mean, uh, uh, it's more of a, Beginning then an end, of course, it's the conclusion of the book. But we could see that, that there's so much more you could develop with with uh, 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 how to develop a value graphic uh, research program. We, we saw that there seems to be some kind of methodological tactics or strategies that we can you can further develop, of course, but draw on. And we also see that that it can be put to use for for different purposes, like for instance, working with with uh, different um, concerns you have, and also I mean maybe even intervene. And so on, so that that's the kind of um, ideas we have for 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 the value graphic, um, research program.
1: And, and the program has an associated journal now.
2: Not, I, I mean, you're you're, you're uh, thinking about the valuation studies. I mean, valuation studies, I would say, is is a journal that ties to the idea of valueography, of course, but but the valuation studies is. Um, is, is more focused on, on valuation as, uh, um, as a set of practices that take place in many different uh, places. I mean, far beyond life sciences, of course, we have grading of students, we have pricing of houses and all that kind of stuff. So you could say that that, that studying valuation as a practice is a value graphic tactic, so to say. So that, I mean, valuation studies focuses on one kind of value graphic uh, um, uh, tactics for studying uh, the, the enactment of values, but I... Another angle, of course, a journal has to have a much uh, more eclectic and 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 broader uh, uh, audience, so that I mean, there would be maybe, I mean, of course, there are, are contributions in the journal of valuation studies that that are not uh, uh, pragmatist, because I mean, that's it's not the kind of. Uh, uh, necessary condition for for stu- studying valuation practices, but I w- would say that the, the value graphic approach, as we describe it in the final chapter, is, is mm-hmm. clearly a pragmatist approach to the study of values.
1: And um, w- will there be future collected editions or, or books for for um, the value graphic um, approach?
3: Yeah, sure, absolutely. One one shot uh, from 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 uh, this volume uh, could be said to be. Uh, an algorithm network the studies of, social studies of algorithms uh, has kind of uh, come out of this collaboration uh, we have lots of the authors in the book and, and other members of this and the point of this network is to look at uh, algorithms as machines of valuation in society looking at how algorithms interface with for example organ allocation that Philip Roscoe has written about how algorithms interface with for example, public health uh, for example in, in, the, in the surveillance of out, out, outbreaks of disease disease outbreaks, uh, this field is moving more and more to this automatic algorithmic uh, surveillance of, of how disease is spread and so on, and um, so we have how algorithms how, how, uh, interface with uh, different parts of the social also we have people looking at how algorithms at the tax agency select who should be audited, and so on. So, I mean, looking at algorithms can be one inroads and one one thing that we're working with to develop the study of valuations in society, looking at how technical apparatus is kind of embody certain ideas about what is important, what is valuable, and so on.
2: I could also mention another thing. I mean, Francis and I, we had a project that started around the same time as we we set out to to do this collaborative book book project. And it's a project about the the valuations done when designing medical experiments. And and the question we are interested in is when, when people do design for a medical experiment, they have to decide upon what kind of knowledge is worth pursuing and what kind of knowledge... Uh, is not worth pursuing. What stones is worth turning, and what stones to, to leave lying, so to say. And, and that project has kind of worked in parallel with the project. There's no empirics in, 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 the, in this volume from that project, but, but we are working on, on on a book on that project, uh, and it will, yeah, I mean, come out. And it will, of, of course, clearly be a, a kind of a value graphic study of, of, of medical design as, as, a, as a practice, where many values are at stake, and people, I mean, the. People doing the design of medical experiments have to sort and enact uh, I mean what what should count here and, and uh, yeah so that's that's kind of a, I wouldn't say an upshot because it's a kind of more of, of a of a twin, but a, a somewhat younger twin because it's not kind of to full fruition
0: yet. So and on my side I um, there are two projects I've been thinking of pursuing where I think the evaluative approach might be enlightening. One of them is uh, deals with the question of uh, um, the neuroculture of violence and aggression. So issues of uh, there will be a study of people living with um, with issues of uh, aggression and with neurodiagnosis um, of different sorts. And values might be a way to approach. Uh, the dilemmas and conflicts uh, and the interface between uh, lay persons and uh, patients and professionals in fruitful ways. Um, another very different alley is a project I've uh, been considering for a long time, which, uh, in which I think a valueographic approach would be very fruitful. Uh, that would be for a um, kind of political history of. Health screenings and health registers in Sweden—that gets close to what uh, Francis was talking about, I think. about the um, um, algorithms and the computerizations of healthcare. Uh, anyway, there, I think the uh, the value approach will be interesting to uh, to use as a tool for historical investigation. Mm. So, I mean, it has been done in some ways with. For example, um, notions of moral economies. But I think it would be it would be an interesting theoretical way to uh, get into maybe well known, uh, not always empirically well known, but uh, otherwise well known kinds of questions of historical developments uh, in the modern or late modern states uh, in terms of healthcare and the way it relates to power and population. Um, yes, what triggered me in the Swedish context there was uh, a poster by a uh, left-wing party, I think, in the 70s, which was called Health Screenings for All as a political peril in a demonstration. And that has spurred me to think in terms of, you know, what? why would you value something so much as part of a political movement mm-hmm. uh, as to proclaim it being a common good? There's something fairly exotic about picking just controls contrast as a political parallel, seen
1: from today's, with, the, with today's uh, gaze. That sounds absolutely fascinating and incredibly eclectic as well, I guess, um, reflecting the core themes, but also the range of, uh, of essays and chapters that are in the book. Thanks for listening to New Books in Critical Theory, where we're discussing value practices in the life sciences and medicine which is published by Oxford University Press in 2000.